God promises that uh, when he sends out his word, it will not return to him empty, but rather it will accomplish what he intends. So God, we uh, ask you this morning that as we open your word, that you will accomplish in us what you intend through your Holy Spirit. A woman wonders about the faith that she was brought up with. It seems to work for many people, at least many others, but not for her. An immigrant left home and sacrificed so much for a better life and a future for their family. But now they feel overwhelmed and isolated. They have so many responsibilities and challenges here and so much pressure and expectation back home. A parent and grandparent watches his adult children and grandchildren wander from God and even further from the church. There's much to celebrate in their lives, much good going on, but inwardly he feels it's all tinged with sadness. You receive a diagnosis, and within a month, your whole life changes. What do you do when what you hoped for does not happen? When all your deepest desires are left unfilled or empty? Today is the last Sunday in Lent. Today we finish up our sermon series, How Long?, and we consider our unfilled hopes. We'll wonder also today about belief. Belief is not first about how you feel or about what you think. Belief is about what you do with what you are given. Could it be that unfilled hopes and even despair do not exclude you from the family of God and do not, but actually include you and make room for God to work? Our text for this morning is 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read that for us and invite you to listen along uh, more than just reading the words along with me. A woman, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets, cried out to Elisha the prophet, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now... His creditor is coming to take my two sons as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said to her, Go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, And he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So far, the reading of God's word. I wonder what sticks out to you in this story. Or perhaps who sticks out to you. 
We are introduced in just seven verses to many different people, a whole complicated story and situation, a period in history. There's a lot going on. We're introduced to Elisha. Elisha was the uh, successor to the superstar prophet Elijah. Elisha was the new leader of the company of the prophets. He inherited Elijah's mantle, his responsibility, his authority, and also his spirit. As a prophet, Elisha performed many miracles and was a respected man of God at this time in Israel. But despite that, he still apparently made himself available to ordinary people and visited their homes and neighborhoods. Then we have this woman who is a widow. This was a time of famine and difficult times in Israel. Times like these were especially hard for widows. There was no safety net or no social programs like we have today in North America. There was a rule or a law in the Torah stating that debts could be repaid through servitude or through working them off, but creditors were not supposed to take advantage of the poor or mistreat them. Those are perhaps the two main characters in this story, but there are others as well. The widow's husband who passed away, he was one of the company of the prophets. So he would have been a follower first of Elijah and then of Elisha. Perhaps he might have even been known well to Elijah or to Elisha. We have this woman's two sons who are under the threat of financial slavery or debt slavery. What might they have thought of their situation or of their mother's need? We also have the woman's neighbors who are brought into this story. And even the creditor, the the rich person who is referenced. And finally, we have God. God is present and active in this story. He doesn't appear visibly, but he does speak through the prophet, through Elisha. Who sticks out to you? Who do you connect with? I want to just read the story one more time. And if it's helpful for you to close your eyes, you can do that. Or uh, just reflect and um, hear these words a second time. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two sons, my two boys, as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all. Except for a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all of your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each one is filled, set it as, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another jar. But he replied, there are, There's not one jar left. And the oil stopped flowing. So she went and told the man of God 
what happened. And he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, I've titled this sermon, Unfilled Hopes, because not only does this woman have a number of bottles in her house that at some point are yet to be filled, but all of the characters in this story have found themselves in situations that are difficult, painful, and disappointing. They're living in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's true of the neighbors who get to see and even participate in this story. It's even true of the creditor. But we're not going to spend too much time with either of those. Instead, we're going to focus on the widow, focus on Elisha. There's famine in the land. That's not God's intent for the way the world should be. God didn't create it. He certainly created seasons. Seasons of growth, seasons of harvest, seasons of winter. But not, God did not intend for famine. Yet, this woman's husband, one of the company of the prophets, has also died. Also not part of God's original good plan for creation. And he's not only died leaving behind a wife, a young wife, and two young sons, but he's also left behind a significant debt that we don't know anything about. Death is never the way it's supposed to be. But it's especially difficult and horrific when it's someone so young. This woman, likely as a result of her husband's death and of his debts, has nothing at all, nothing to her name, except a small bottle of olive oil. Olives were a staple crop of the area and it was very common for them to be turned into oil and then sold or uh, transported around. This woman has nothing but olive oil and of course also she has two sons, two young boys to feed. Those boys are at a loss because of their father's death. It's clear from the story that they're not old enough yet to fully provide for themselves nor to provide for their mom. But they also uh, might be sold into slavery now so that the debt can be repaid even though it would take years of their lives to pay off whatever debt the family owed. What connects with you in this story? What makes it feel real? Some of us in this room have experienced exactly this kind of situation. This kind of thing happens in many different countries around the world today uh, as it has happened for hundreds of years. Here in North America, we experience hardship. We experience loss. We know the pain of unfilled or empty hopes. We might know it in different, uh, in different ways or from different angles, but we know tears. We know desperation. Some of us even know the, this kind of story from the perspective of the creditor, from the perspective of someone who is owed and doesn't know 
how justly to seek what is owed them. Let's start with this woman. This woman is in a desperate situation. She has so much to lose. Not just the, the physical things around her, not just her home, but especially her sons. And there's a helplessness there too. She doesn't have much left. She needs her sons. She loves her sons, but she's terrified that they're going to be taken away from her. Maybe it's easy for those, easier for those of you who are mothers to imagine this. To imagine the, the threat of losing your children. Maybe this draws you into the story. Maybe it helps your interest rise in your heart. How is this going to be resolved for this widow? We see from this story that she's a godly woman. Even in a desperate and difficult situation, she goes to God. She goes to the man of God, a prophet. She didn't have to do that. She could have tried to run away. Many of us have made that choice in difficult situations, haven't we? Just try to run. She could have lashed out, maybe tried to steal in order to make it work. She could have tried to find another husband, another provider. She could have even turned to begging or sold her body. Finally, she could have just given up. She could have let the creditor take her sons. All of these choices were available to her and very real to her in those moments. And all of those choices were very much within her control. She could have taken any of them. And yet, she comes to God in faith. She comes to the man of God, the prophet, and she asks for a provision that is outside of her control. It's always an incredible act of faith when anyone comes to God in a hopeless and helpless situation. Our world always provides many options that will promise us control and yet draw us away from God. The choices that will lead us toward God often seem harder at the start. And as I said, many of us, like this woman, know the pain and despair of unfilled hopes in our lives. And what about Elisha, the other main character, main actor, person in this story? Some of us, like Elisha, meet with people or meet people who have unfilled hopes. Elisha also had the opportunity to make many choices. He could have said to the woman, I wish you all the best. Be warm, be fed, I hope you get the help you need. Maybe he could have even said, well, I know some social services or another community that might be able to help you. I'll I'll give you a reference. In other words, Elisha could have done more or less nothing. Alternatively, Elisha could have done everything. He's a miracle worker. He could have magically, as it were, made some food come into the house, fixed everything for her, at least for a little while, and then moved on. He could have just made a bunch of money or a bunch of oil appear without any effort at all from the woman, from the neighbors, 
or from him. If this feels like a real story at all to you, then put yourself in this story for a moment. Imagine, or maybe you don't have to imagine, but imagine you're in a hopeless or desperate situation. What, what do you do? I expect that for many of us, we either hope that God will do everything or we despair because we expect that God will do nothing. Elisha is the prophet of God. Elisha speaks the words of God to God's people and Elisha doesn't do either of those things. Elisha doesn't do everything for the woman and he doesn't do nothing for her. Elisha's name in Hebrew means, my God saves. And he shows us the way in which God saves. Time and time again. In this situation, but also in countless others. Elisha asks the woman two questions. First he says, how can I help you? And then the second question he asks is, what do you have that I can work with? That God can work with? Even in sorrow brothers and sisters, even when your hope remains unfilled, God does not view you as a victim. When you cry out to God for help, you might have many ideas about how God can help you. But it's important for you to hear both of Elijah's questions, or Elisha's questions, both of God's questions. Not only God asking, how can I help you? But also God asking, what do you have that I can work with? Maybe, maybe you answer that question the way the woman answered it. You say, God, I have nothing. God, I have absolutely nothing that you can work with. But brothers and sisters, that is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the woman's story, and it's not the end of your story. The woman says, I have nothing at all. Nothing at all. Except a small jar of olive oil. The story of a victim is that you actually have nothing. The story of a victim is that you have no defense, you have no assets, no gifts, and no possibilities. Life happens to you, and you don't even have a choice about it. But that is not your story. Even when the worst happens to you, even when you lose a spouse, or or you go into grave debt, or God forbid something worse happens to you, God does not leave you as a victim. God does not leave you alone. You might look around at the world that is around you, the situation that's around you, and say, I have nothing at all. But with God, there will always be a but. With God, you will always say, I have nothing at all. Accept this. So often we're hopeless because we think we have nothing or we think we have almost nothing to offer God. 
But God doesn't need us to have something. God is not struggling and in need of your many talents or your great wealth or your wisdom or your fantastic ideas. God does not depend on you. God does not need you. If God needed you to do what He desires, then He would not be God. It would be less than that. God, very simply, loves you. And because He loves you, He wants you. He wants you as you are. He wants you and all of you as you are with everything that you have. Whether everything you have amounts to a great deal or whether everything you have amounts to nothing. Nothing except this one little thing. If all you have is a broken body, an empty cupboard, or a grieving heart, if all that you have amounts to despair, that is enough for God to work with. But He still wants you to give it to Him. There are so many stories in Scripture where God works with nothing or less than nothing. In the New Testament, Jesus celebrates how God worked with two copper coins worth less than a penny. God worked with an uneducated group of disciples, most of whom were at odds or even enemies with one another. And all of them were bad at public speaking. God works with one small army a bunch of times in the Old Testament. And in this story, one small bottle of olive oil. He works with this woman. She puts her hope and her trust in God. She submits all that she has to Him in her desperate situation. She says to God, I've given you, she says to, to God and to the prophet, I have nothing except this small bottle of olive oil. And then, when she gives her olive oil to God, then she really has nothing. She's not giving him a little bit off the top. She's not giving him the leftovers at the end of the week or at the end of the month or the end of the year. She really gave him everything. Elijah initiated God's way with this woman, offering to help and requesting what she had to partner with God. This woman didn't fully understand God's way, and yet she was obedient. She took action. She believed. In our eyes, I'm sure, a jar of olive oil is a very small thing. Most of us can go to a grocery store and not just buy a small bottle, but buy a big bottle. In some grocery stores, you might be able to buy a case of olive oil and still have enough left over. In our eyes, this is a small thing, but in God's eyes, it's a big thing. She's giving everything as an act of faith and trust in God. 
It's a big thing in God's eyes because God's economy doesn't work like our economy. God's action is not limited by physical resources, as we see in this miracle. God does not wait for our money or our gifts or our talents. God waits for our willing and open hearts, for us to give all of ourselves to him. To offer yet another example, the Apostle Paul, when he began his uh, work as an adult, the Apostle Paul didn't just have nothing to offer God. Paul was actively pursuing and persecuting the people of God. He was actively working against God and God's kingdom. Later years, Paul would say, he, I was passionately opposed to God. But God met him. Paul gave his passion to God. And God did incredible things in him and through him. See, God always does us the honor of working with our little, working with our basic, working with our nothing except this. God does not treat us as victims. God does not force himself on us. He gives us what we need. He gives us when we ask and when we take steps of faith. God gives his people both honor and humility. He gives us honor because he chooses to work with us and work through us, even when we feel like we have nothing. And he partners with us so that rather than being slaves to our world, we might be his servants. And not just his servants, but even his friends. When God chooses to partner with us, we are forced to realize with this woman that even when we have unfilled hopes, even when our life is difficult, we have more than nothing. God takes away this woman's shame because every other choice she had, she might have kept control, but they would have lowered her, made her dependent on others. God chooses to partner with her, to lift her up in her own eyes, to lift her up in the eyes of her sons, to lift her up in the eyes of the community. Because she depends on God, now she has skills, She has some resources. She has something to offer. God gives this woman what he gives to so many people. An answer to the prayer of the wise author of Proverbs. The author of Proverbs says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Please do not refuse me before I die. The first thing, keep falsehood and lies far from me. And the second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, well, who is the Lord? Or otherwise, I might become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Friends, because God chooses to partner with us, to honor us, and to share with us, God never gives us enough to live on our own. God never gives us so much that a life of faith is no longer necessary. He never gives us so much 
so that we can walk off on our own into pride, into foolishness, and disown God. The richest, the richest among us still come to the limits of our wealth. The wisest among us come to the limits of our wisdom, just as the poorest among us do. And God always challenges us to give him more. Not because he needs more, but because he loves us and wants everything. God does not call us to give everything because he's difficult. Not because he needs it, but because he loves you. He loves you so much that he will work hard to help you see just how empty you are without him. How he alone can fill every desire, every need, and every hope that you have. The story of this woman is included in the Bible, in part, I think, because her story is like all of our stories. All of us are broken. All of us are lost or have lost. All of us have unfilled hopes. We can be included here too. We don't all have the same unfilled hopes, but all of us are touched by the sin of others, the brokenness of our world. All of us face the unexpected effects of our own sin. And God calls all of us to respond in faith, to give our little, to give our nothing to him. Yesterday, I was chatting with some high school students and we brought up the fact that sometimes life at church can feel fake. And feel like everybody else is doing fine and uh, we just sort of see a, a, a glossy veneer or a two-dimensional uh, polished image of one another. That's hard. It's hard for our young people. It's hard for many of us. We only see the surface. But what I suggested to our students was that, especially in large groups, I don't think we're often looking or trying to look perfect for everyone else. I think often we are intensely aware of our unfulfilled hopes. We're intensely aware of our shame, our despair. All of us have that topic or that sensitive spot for us, a bruise that's sensitive every time we touch it. The solution, I don't think, is for all of us to stand up front and uh, bear our grief, our loss, our shame to the world. But brothers and sisters, will you acknowledge it to God? Will you answer his questions and say, God, this is how you can help me. And this is what I have to offer. Will you even acknowledge it to a few others? Until we acknowledge our grief, our loss, our unfilled hopes to God, it will always feel in the present like our hopes are unfilled. Not always because our life is so bad, but at least because God is not done with us yet 
Our story is not over yet. And so as we close and we step into a time of prayer, I want to remind you that we see ourselves as we are in this present moment. We see one another as we are in this present moment. But God sees us eternally. God doesn't just see you now as you are, but he also sees you in the ultimate picture of you. He sees you as you will be and who, you want, who he wants you to be ultimately. God fills our jar every day as we submit to him all we have. This is not just passively waiting. Instead, it's recognizing what the author of Proverbs says. That God gives us just enough to continue moving on. Not alone, but with Him. The story of God filling this woman's hope is not a story that ends with a finish line or that concludes, and they lived happily ever after. Instead, it reminds us that God fills our hope new every day. That our emptiness, our hopelessness, is not something that's over and done with once, but that returns again and again. And likewise, that God's hope and God's mercies are new every day. That he fills us and is filling us up again and again each day. So let's come to him in prayer and ask that he fills us. Please pray with me. Father God, it's harder for some of us than others to admit how empty we are. It's harder for some of us than others to believe that even the little we have, you can work with, you will work with, that you will use it not only to honor us, but also to partner with us, to humble us. God, we ask this morning that you would speak words of comfort, hope, and love to our hearts. In all these areas of our lives where we have unfilled hopes, speak to us. Help us to hear your words saying, how can I help you? And also lifting us up by asking, what do you have that God can work with, that I can work with? God, lead and guide us. Open our hearts to hear your word speaking to us and your spirit leading us on. And give us the boldness and the trust to respond in faith, not just as individuals, but also together. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.